turn to Acts chapter 1. I told you guys we're going to mix things up this morning, and the reason is because I, I want you to walk out of here getting this and understanding this is biblical foundation of the church and what God said. And in Acts chapter 1, we're going to see it. Before we get there, I'm going to pull things back for the last two, three weeks that we've jumped on this. And we're talking about biblical fellowship, not the fellowship of laying it out and saying, hey, brother, how are you? I am fine. Good to see you. We walk our separate ways. But getting into what God laid out, we saw that the church must be a connected community, not just a congregated crowd. And this is done through biblical fellowship. It is not about just congregating. The Bible is filled with illustrations about how they assemble themselves together. But for what purpose? Next, we looked at the church must have a plan to connect people through biblical fellowship. Jethro goes up to Moses and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm the dude for all these people. And he said, this is not good for you. It's not good for your people. He said, break these people down. Have leaders over them to hold them accountable. Bring them before God. Edify one another. All this. Jesus comes on the scene. New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Calls out 12 men. Follow me. And I will make you, I will teach you, I will build you up to be fishers of men. Wasn't 12 because that's all Jesus could handle. It was 12 because he was showing an example of you've got to start with the core and before you reach out. The third thing we looked at, the church must be focused on relationships, not just programs. Thank God for programs. But if that's all it is, if the church is connected and made up of a bunch of spreadsheets, databases, and programs, then we are a business, not a church. Amen. If I have to go to an Excel spreadsheet to figure out if you're missing or you're going through a hard time, then we have so missed the purpose of the church. We sit in there and say, isn't that what the church secretary, the church secretary, da 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 da, da. oh, okay, here's your printout list and we take that list and we go around to, and it's like all of a sudden, are, are you member 2469? Okay, we've noticed that in our database, I'm like, whoa, I, I, I don't want to be treated like that. The church should not be treated like that. You, you, you find out that somebody's missing, you have to go over them and say, oh, by the way, my name is. If, if, we don't, if we're not even connected enough to know each other's names, then there's a problem. I, I love taking people back to the Bible and, and studying God's model for success. When we fail to overlook the model that Jesus Christ has set for us, then we do our things our way, and we fail. And, and we can do something so much that we train our brains to think that this is a doctrinal way of doing it. And it's not bad that we do certain things a super way, but we should always bring ourselves back to God's word. God's word. This is the beginning, this is the foundation, and this is the hope to continue. So we read here. In Acts chapter 1, we're bringing us back to the basics, the foundation of the church, the fundamentals of everything that they were building upon. Now the application is different. There's different ways that we do things, but the foundational truth of, he goes to Jesus speaking to him in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. All their training, God built them up to say, was to do this. Your training was to do this. The last three years of hands-on ministry was for this. Go, do, teach, preach, reach. Don't just sit. Don't just talk about it. Don't just congregate. Go tell the world. 
share with them the truth that you have. Let's be honest this morning. We're not as effective with this as we should be. We're not. We have a hard enough time rather than telling people to go into all the world and preach the gospel of every truth. We have a hard enough time just trying to keep our heads above water. A lot of Christians, they're like, man, I can't even keep track of my kids, and you're telling me to go out and reach people? And like, Are you serious? I, I'm, I'm having a hard time just keeping me and my husband together, and you're telling me to reach out to other couples? If we are not strong in here, we will be weak out there. If we cannot edify one another, then you are useless to edify others. You can preach all you want. Go into all the world. Go in the world. Go two by two, all this. If we don't have it going on in here, we'll be ineffective out there. Jesus taught that. If you're not being spiritually fed, then you have nothing to share. If you are not growing, you cannot teach others how to grow. If you do not have people investing in you, then you have nothing to give and offer to invest in others. This is why Jesus invested so much in the 12. I know we love this story in Acts chapter 2. Them reaching out, preaching the word of God. 3,000 souls were saved, baptized at the church. And we're all like, woohoo, I'd love to have that. Well, great. Then do it God's way. Stop and go back. So we read Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then they returned, they, unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. And from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey after Jesus told them this. So woohoo, they're going to go to Acts chapter 2 and preach the gospel to every creature. And 3,000 were so, no, don't rush it. And when they were come in, they went up to an upper room. And there abode Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus. And there was Simon the Zealot and Judas, the brother of James. Notice this was a specific group. Named one by one. Congregated together. These continued in one accord and in prayer and in supplication. The women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Guys, it's so hard to believe that he's, he's already gone. But it was so exciting to be a part of his ministry when he was here, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. We are so blessed. Yeah, you know, I think it, to me it was... I'm just so glad that we don't have to be alone. You know, he promised us that he would never leave us. But another thing he said is that we had each other. Yeah. And I consider it such an honor to be able to call you my, my brothers and my sisters. Yeah. I just, I can't believe that I doubted him. After all that he did for us and all the things we saw and I still doubted him. He did doubt him. But you have to remember that Jesus said in his teachings that he casts our our, our, our forgiveness as far as the east is from the west. And even though you doubted him, even though you did doubt him in those times, he still forgave you, and he still will forgive you. You're right. I guess sometimes I just let the flesh get a hold of me. I need to remember that he will forgive us. Yeah, you know, if anybody could speak about forgiveness, I mean, think about me. I felt like such a failure. I, I can so remember just denying him three times. I, I just... I don't know what I was thinking, but I can, I can vividly remember him standing at the shoreline with his arms wide open, and he's, he's crying out my name, and, and he's telling me, I'm not done with you yet. I love you, and I just, I'm overwhelmed by his love. So, so what do we do now? Well, I, I think we should start doing what he told us to do, what he taught us to do, and, and go tell people about who he is and how much he, he loves them and how he's gonna, he can change their lives just like he changed ours. And the greatest part about it all 
is we get to do it together. Yeah. Can you guys help me out with something? I mean, we're facing a lot of opposition right now. We were the disciples of Jesus. I mean, and they crucified him. I mean, what could they do to us? I just want to be confident and bold and be able to speak out for him. Yeah, we all need that encouragement. And guys, we have to remember that we're not going to be able to do this by ourselves. We have to have each other. We need to pray the way Jesus taught us to. We need to remember he, he isn't with us physically, but we can still talk to him. I, I would like you all to pray uh, that when things come our way, opposition, that we have the courage to stand. Yeah, absolutely. And can you guys pray for me as well? I just want to share Christ with my family. I mean, they thought I was crazy when I left my job and left everything to follow him. And now with everything that's happened, they think I'm even more crazy. I just need your guys' prayer that I'd be able to share them with, with my family. Hmm. Well, guys, let's pray. All right. Our Father, chart in heaven, Lord, help us. We need your guidance. This, uh, this example that we have wasn't just created of Peter pushing and provoking Thomas and Thomas doubting and sitting in the midst of his brother and there and the Bible describes this we see this right here but this example of what there and the, the Bible says that when they left Jesus and you got to understand they were down and they were out and they were discouraged and whether they, they didn't just go out and preach the gospel whatever creature and you say well the Acts chapter 2 shows that but did you notice what they did when they left Jesus and not they didn't have the hope of Christ they gathered together and it says that they were together in prayers, in one accord, and in supplication. I'll break that down here in a minute, but I'm telling you, they had a purpose of why they said, guys, we need to go back to the upper room, us that I listed name by name, before we dare go out, because I tell you what, we've got a lot coming our way, and we need to get on our knees and seek the face of God first. And you guys can be dismissed. You say, why are you showing this? Well... I want to show you where they got this from. So I'm going to take you now to John chapter 13 and show you another upper room experience. This was not the first time that they gathered together in upper room. It's not the first time that the 12 is mentioned one by one. It's not the first time that they were in prayer and supplication. They had an example. They learned it from Jesus. It's amazing what happens when we follow the example of Jesus. I take you to the upper room in the Last Supper, and I know a lot of times when we go to a passage like this, we're thinking, this is my body, this is my blood, but there's a lot that happened around that. If you study the four Gospels, you're actually going to pick different things out of each one and go, wow, I didn't realize that was part of the upper room. There was a lot that was part of that whole scenario of Jesus confronting Judas and confronting Peter and teaching them. There's a lot of teaching that went in, and you can, you can see that in John and some of the different passages. You're going to find confrontation. You're, you're going to find service. You're going to find all those things. So let me show you. Let, let, let me point out some things, and that's what we're going to do this morning. Number one, I read this, and I found where there was acceptance and belonging. There was acceptance and belonging we read the four books of the Bible where Jesus invested in these men. And now in John chapter 13, notice the bond that they had with Christ. Now, sometimes we read right over this and we miss this. Now, there was, I can't even imagine this. <laughs> I cannot imagine this. Now, there was leaning on the bosom of one of his disciples. Now, there was Jesus 
bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Just congregated crowd, that's all it was. Just a bunch of people that gathered together. No, no. I'm telling you, there, there was a bond. There was a unity. When the Bible says in one accord, Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him and that he should ask what, who it should be of whom he spake. Then lying on Jesus' breast, saying to them, Lord, who is it? And I don't know what this imagery was, but it was somebody that sat there that knew that the time was close and maybe even was a little in tune with the heartbeat of Jesus to share what he was going through and knew what he was about to face. They, they had this bond in Christ. They, they had a place where these men connected. They belonged. They knew their names. Jesus, in this passage, begins to call out their weaknesses. Have, have you ever noticed that? Judas, I know what you're going to do. Peter, you got this. Da, da. And he began to call out their weaknesses. Jesus knew within that group who was strong and who was weak. He's calling them out. Thomas, for doubting. We've got to learn from this. There are people that come from years to Fellowship Baptist Church and never develop a true, solid, biblical relationship with somebody else. I've had people that I mention and, and say, hey, do you know so-and-so? And they'll be like, I, I, I'm, I'm sure if I saw them, I'd know their name. I don't know about you guys, but I, I'd feel a little weird if I went to a place continually and that all I was known is by what's-his-face. What if, we, what if we just called it what it was and say, hey, brother, what's-his-face? Would you stand? We love you so much. Yeah, that's why I'm called what's-his-face, you know. <laughs> say that wouldn't work. Let me ask you a question. When the Bible tells us to bear ye one another's burdens, how can you bear the burdens of people you don't know? How can you bear, carry, lift up, and support the burdens of people you don't even know their names? How do you genuinely love and care for and love someone when you don't know their names? I love how they were created for this bond and how Jesus... This bond started because Jesus noticed how personal it was. It wasn't Jesus, they walked up and saw a banner that said, looking for disciples, sign up at www.whatwouldjesusdo.com. Now you find in the disciples where Jesus was walking up one by one and says, hey, my name is Jesus. Will you drop your nets and follow me and I'll invest in you. He said, invest in, no, he said, and I will make you fishers of men. I will help you be better than who you are now. I will give you a bigger purpose in life. I will help you along the way. The word follow me wasn't just, hey, see if you can keep up. It was a matter of, I will make you a disciple, which literally means I will invest in your life to help you become more than who you are. He did not come up and said, hey, would you attend my seminar, but walk with me. I read this account and I see a sense of belonging, a bond, a connection. But notice the second thing. We find self-sacrifice and service in the same upper room. Chapter 13, verse 12. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and was sat down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you. He called me Master and Lord, and ye say well, for so I am. If I then... Your Lord and Master have washed your feet. Ye ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. And you should do as I have done to you. Do you get what Jesus was saying with this? Hey guys, this is great. 
the prayer, the supplication, the love for one another. But he said, hey guys, don't leave out connecting and serving one another. Because I tell you, there's very few people in this world that have our backs. And sometimes we almost don't have each other's backs because we're not looking down on the needs of one another. We're almost built up like, what do I have to do and things? This was Jesus that took off the outer robe, got down and looked at their nasty feet. Can I get a witness right here? Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't tell us to wash each other's feet? Never mind, I love you guys, but come on. (laughs) Jesus put feet to his love. Jesus put action to his compassion. He didn't just say, do it. Jesus got down and showed them. Here's the thing. We must learn to serve one another. Let me give you an example. John Parker moved yesterday been in the same location for a long time. God gave them a new house. They're downsizing their property and things, and God gave them a new location. John came to me, and he said, he said, Tony, I, I've got all this stuff in my garage. But he said, I desperately help, need help getting that stuff from my garage down to the basement. He said, I need a couple guys for about an hour. I can't do this by myself. You know, you say, well, that's, what's spiritual about that? I'm showing you right here. The Bible says, you know what? Christians need to learn to serve one another. And by the way, John is doing this immediately after church this morning. He said, I just wonder how many guys would just follow me to my house and help me for one hour and help carry this burden or this problem or this job that I have to do. You realize that God has called Christians to serve one another. And while I'm saying that, if you're not doing anything to serve one another, then you need to learn to follow the example of Christ. How dare we call ourselves Christians when we're not doing the things that are Christ-like? He was investing in them. He was loving them. He was challenging the group on a personal level saying, guys, I never watched Jesus watch the multitude's feet. But in that setting, in that environment, he was provoking them to love and to good works. Verse 15, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Jesus set the example. And he did it by starting to do it himself. We need, let me just say, we need godly men and women that are willing to be like Jesus to step up and lead other men and women to show them what to do in the Christian life. What I'm doing right now is great. It's biblical. I will show you over and over and over and over again to assemble to worship, to preach the word of God, to assemble, to worship, and teach the word of God. It's all through the Bible. The Old Testament gives us plenty of examples of worship. The New Testament talks about the church and the preaching and edifying and what Peter did in Acts chapter 2 and all this. This is good. But let me tell you, when it comes to meeting each other's needs and serving one another, Jesus set the example through humility of saying, do as I have done Follow in my example. And there's a lot of Christians that hear the word of God and don't see the scriptural application. How many of you think it'd be a little chaotic if I was to serve as a pastor while I'm preaching? I had all my kids up here. And I just said, you guys be quiet. You play over there. And, it, it, and then I turn around and like, hey, Jordan, you don't need a... And Morgan, come on, sweetie, let's not... And I'm saying, I'm going to give you an example of what a dad should be. You say, that's not the setting. It's not. 
He said that's the same thing that Jesus was doing with the disciples and saying, hey guys, there's some things that I'm going to intimately teach you heart to heart within this group that I cannot show application out in the world. So many dads are sitting there going, I, I don't really know, I'm a new Christian. I don't know what it is to discipline my kids biblically and correctly and with love. I, I, I don't know how to show my wife. I, I've grown up and all I've done is yell at my wife and scream and this and that. And all of a sudden men are provoking men and women are provoking women. And parents are provoking godly other Christian parents. And the example of Jesus Christ. Jesus showed them a place of belonging and self-sacrifice and service. But then the third thing I see is accountability. Verse 37 in chapter 13, Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, so wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto you, unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me three times, thrice. Peter, I know, your spirit indeed is willing, and in the middle of that group, Jesus calls him out and says, dude, I know your heart, but the thing is, I also know your weakness. And Jesus calls him out on that. You realize that we have entered a day and age where Christians have the idea that my business is my business? Here's the thing. God has blessed me with two brothers and two sisters. And you better believe that I am up in their business when it comes to me loving them and seeing something that is not right. My sister has been on me for this, the, the, the bucket challenge, the ice bucket challenge. And she has threatened that she will keep posting pictures from my childhood until I do this. I don't know why I'm saying this now. Everybody's going to go. My, my Facebook page is filled with not so flattering pictures. And she's pulling out every ugly picture that she can. And all I say to her, because I love her, is revenge will stink, Okay. There is a bond with brothers and sisters that is not normal out in the world. Did you guys know that? There would be a different household if other men would call out other men on their pornography issues. Say, whoa, whoa, that's my business. I'll do what I can. Let me tell you, if, if I was over at Dave's house and I saw a snake slither up underneath his couch and my wife goes, oh my goodness, did you see that? I saw that, but... I don't want to get in all his business. He might want that snake there. And who am I to say? I mean, this isn't my house and all that. And, and if Jen reaches over and says, yeah, but that could bite him. And I'm like, okay, we're leaving it then. You know, no, I'm kidding. And you say, there could be great consequences by not calling out something dangerous in my brother's life that could come back and bite him and hurt his family. He said, you'd be an awful brother. Let me tell you, a lot of sins that we're dealing with in our families are a lot more poisonous than any snake. Amen. And we sit there and turn our head and say, well, I love you, brother. If you loved me, you'd hold each other accountable. Amen. Let me say, it wasn't that Jesus did not love Peter. It was just that Jesus loved him enough to call him out and say, Peter, I love you enough to say, hey, this is a problem. There's some settings that this is not appropriate. I am certainly glad this morning, and I would shut it down in a heartbeat if I said, I've got a declaration. I was over at his house last week, and I didn't know, like, okay, okay, stop. Not the place, not the time. A lot of people are not here today in church. 
Because there's other brothers and sisters that we're not willing to open their mouth to confront them on some things. There are some people here missing today because you have noticed and you are unwilling to call them. And you say, it's not my business. He's a brother in Christ, it is your business. There's a reason he called us out as a family to love and to provoke one another. Let me stop and say all these things are great, but none of these, none of these are any good unless we apply James chapter 1 verse 22. We can talk about the problems all day long. We can read the example of what Jesus said, but in James Chapter 1 and verse 22, and it's up on the screen. I'm going to read this in James 1, 22. The Bible says, But be ye a doer of the word, and not a hearer only. Jesus said, this is my example. This is what I, what I have done. I want you to do unto you. And then we read, 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 read. And Jesus says, okay. And then we sit there in a pew and go, uh-huh, uh-huh. And we walk out and do nothing. Be ye a doer of the word, and not a hearer only, deceiving your own selves. We have been hoodwinked by the devil to think that we are so fulfilling the law of Christ because we gather and we shake each other's hands and we miss out on the accountability, we miss out on the edification, we miss out on calling each other out, we miss out on some of these biblical principles that God said, I don't want you just to hear these things, I want you to live them and build the church from the inside out. You guys, it, you won't believe the story I'm getting ready to tell you. This past Sunday, you know, I've been doing junior church, yeah. mm-hmm. and I was, I was scared to death. I was actually teaching the lesson, and I didn't think the kids were listening to me, but there was these two new girls in the class, and one of them actually was so focused on what I was saying, she came up to me afterwards and received Christ as her Savior. Dude, that's so oh, awesome. It was man. amazing. It was absolutely amazing, and I, I just could, couldn't believe it with my own eyes. It was, I was overwhelmed. That's cool. That's, that's incredible, Pete. We are so blessed. I tell you, more, more than anything else, I, I consider it a blessing to be able to do this with you. You know, it's, it's amazing that Jesus told us that we never have to worry about him ever leaving us. He's always with us. Yeah. But then to think that we get to do this type of thing with each other, mm-hmm. I consider it an honor to be able to serve alongside of you as brothers and yep. sisters. Yeah, not, not to change the subject, um, but as you guys know, me and my wife have been struggling lately a little bit with finances. And uh, we're just struggling with a little bit of doubt. You know, sometimes when you're going through something like this, it's uh, a little hard and it's easy to doubt, you know, Christ. So. Yeah, it's hard. I was keep on being reminded of, of Pastor's message last week when he was talking about how uh, Peter and Jesus were out in the water. Mm-hmm. And Jesus called Peter and everything around him was, was chaos. There was turmoil. The seas were going everywhere. Waves were crashing. But Jesus didn't call him out there to, to do anything crazy, but he wanted him to focus on him. He wanted Peter to focus that he had everything under control. And in our lives, a lot of times, we're going to look at our life and think, man, our world's going crazy. We have chaos. Turmoil is abounding everywhere. But Jesus just wants us to know that he's there and that we're focused on him. And as long as we stay focused on him, we know we're going to be good. We're going to be set. You're right. I guess sometimes I just let my flesh get a hold of me. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just need to pray that he would help me overcome my doubts. So. 
Well, let me go ahead and say this. I mean, you guys know very well. I, my wife and I have been at a church for like, we were at church for like three years. I mean, we kept denying the fact that we needed this, yeah. but for three years, we just totally didn't think it was necessary, and it wreaked havoc in our family. You guys know. In fact, it wasn't even until John invited me back to church and invited me back to this setting, I felt, I, I felt so alone. But yeah. now yeah. that I'm with you, I just feel, I know God's working in my life. He's not done with us yet. Yeah. He still has a great plan for my wife and I, and, and God's already doing great things in my family. It's, 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 it's incredible. Well, we are so stoked to have you guys back. It was really different without you guys there, but we're glad that you're here and uh, being able to share this with us again. Absolutely. Well, thanks for inviting me back, and yeah, I man. look forward to, to seeing what God does with us now as a family as we grow in our, in our walk with Christ. For sure, yeah. I mean, can you guys help me with something, too? Uh, we're just, we're facing a lot of opposition right now. I mean, let's face it. Christians aren't exactly popular. I mean, my uh, daughter was in the cafeteria yesterday at her school eating lunch, said a prayer, and she got sent to the principal's office. So, I mean, she wasn't stealing anything, cheating, or anything, and she got sent to the principal's office. So, I just, with all the opposition we're facing, I just pray that we would be bold and that my kids can be bold as well. I think we all need to be bold, and we all struggle with trying to be bold. It's hard to be encouraged in a world that is so full of turmoil and things that are distraught, but you have to remember that just like the disciples and they had Jesus and, and back and forth, we have to have each other. We can't do this alone. We have to have, live life together and, and lift up each other and help each other and encourage each other. Can't do it alone. Yeah. yeah, we need to pray the way the Bible teaches us that just because he isn't with us physically, we can still talk to him just like we're talking to each other. Um, I think we all need to pray that we have the courage to stand when opposition comes our way. I really think we need to pray about that. Yeah. yeah. I, could, I could also use some prayer for my family. I mean, you know, I just want to share Christ with them. They thought I was crazy when I started coming to church. I mean, it was so unlike me. And uh, now when I try to talk to them about um, Jesus and the things he's done for me, they just think I'm even more crazy. I just want them to experience the same joy in him that I have. Yeah, I understand. We, we really need to pray for the people in our church that have cancer. It's, it's everywhere. And the ladies of the church, we've um, started to uh, get cards together to send out to encouragement just to let them know that we care. I, I think that we, it's a great idea. And if any of you have any ideas of what else we can do to outreach, just let us know. And if you want to help, help. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, I, I think you know that the guys that I work with are most of them are lost you know and uh, I just want my I want I want my life to count I want to be able to share the gospel with them and asking God to open up opportunities for me to do that so that they too can know how Jesus can change their life yeah. I mean if anybody knows how messy life can be it's me so yeah. I just pray that God will open up opportunities for me Absolutely. there's been a lot of things mentioned and we all struggle with things we all need to be more bold we all need encouragement. We need to be remembering the people in our church that, that we can pray for. So, hey, guys, I want us to pray. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and uh, we'll pray and ask God to uh, help us in all these Absolutely. different areas. Dear Lord, we, we thank you for this night. Lord, we thank you for, Lord, all these different things that you've given to us. God, I ask that you please help us to be bold. Lord, that you would please encourage us with the things that we need. Bless us tonight. Help us have a great day in your name. Amen. There is a biblical principle in the Bible, and... Um, you guys can be dismissed. Probably wondering, what is he going to do with this swords and those guys in there? It's called church discipline, people. No. The Bible says, iron sharpeneth iron. So a man 
will sharpen the countenance of some stranger he doesn't know. So it says of a friend. You know when I realized that I was with Dennis Maynard one time, and he probably doesn't even remember this, and he was taking a uh, knife sharpener out, and I said, Dennis, that doesn't make sense. Why does that not dull the knife? Because he said, as long as one of the pieces is harder than the other piece, and that's what a knife sharpener is, it's a harder piece of metal that knocks off the rough edges of the other piece of metal. And here's the thing. All of us have strengths. All of us have abilities. All of us have learned or grown in some area where I've gotten victory over an area of my life that maybe you haven't and, and vice versa. And we, we live with that to the point where we're able, when I turn around and say, you know what, I've learned something about that. Right? I've learned application. This, th that verse is not talking about a congregational setting of a friend. Iron will never sharpen iron unless that, those two pieces of iron come in contact with each other. Iron cannot sharpen iron unless they come in regular contact with one another. Turn around and say, why isn't the church, 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 wait to no, know? Here's the thing. Unless we're learning to get into this and realizing that Christians have a biblical, God-given, organized responsibility to sharpen one another. Do you know why we sharpen a knife or a sword? To make it a more effective in the purpose in which it has. When you have a lot of dull parents and dull marriages and dull this and dull that and nothing's working right and you feel like you're ineffective, you say, just turn to God. And God says, yeah, thank you for turning to me and you should be, but I have turned you to my word. I, I have said, be a doer of the word. I, you can turn, God help me to be a better Christian. Then you don't show up and interact with other Christians. God said, I have already given you a way. I've already showed you, taught you. Laid it out. I spelt it out. I wrote it out. I'm giving you an example. Do it. Stop talking about it and do it. Do you dare want to be that effective whatever? College student, grandparent, part of our emerge class, getting in there and being that teacher, whatever. God says, I've got a principle for you to follow. I've got a way for this to do this. Here, here's what I found. We, we see a place of belonging. We find self-sacrifice and service. We find accountability. But let me show you the last thing, and we're done. We find edification. I started this on Wednesday night with our Bible challenge, and I went through there. John 13, 34 now, in the same passage, he said this, A new commandment do I give unto you. He says, guys, I'm going I'm to blow you away with something. I'm going to tell you one of the most important parts of what you're going to do, that ye love one another. Don't stop there. Because remember, he gave an example, gave an example, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. What I have done unto you, do other. He goes, as I have loved you. Wasn't their kind of love. They were bickering over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. God, in that same thing, it's all in that same passage, turn around and says, guys, stop. Kick your eyes off yourself. Start realizing those that are around you. By this, all men shall know that you're my disciples. If you have love towards one another. What we have studied for the last three weeks 
what we have gotten into and all these things, and you turn around and you see the byproduct of our love, our connection, our accountability, the byproduct of all these things that he said will be the power of the church in the community. Do you realize this? We will be ineffective with our outreach until we learn to biblically do inreach. We will be ineffective. We have people burning out with outreach because they have not learned to do inreach. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, and this is a verse that you know very well, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Can I show you guys the biblical, I'm, I'm, I'm not just saying a verse that we quote, but the biblical illustration of this? Brother Steve Sinato, can you help me? I pick on you a lot. You're going you're gonna to probably move in the service. Be like, I'm not sitting down there. He calls me up. I want you to, I want you to take this. Now, I, I want to explain what this is. In our church, this is a lot of different things. For somebody, I can tell you, Jason and Alicia right now, and Ed and Juanita, this is, this is cancer. It's a burden. For some, it's going to be a child that you, you just don't know what to do with. Honestly, I, I don't know what angle or approach to go after them to reach them. Or it's, I'm losing my house. I've got X amount of days before we could be homeless. I've lost my job. I'm a college student, and I, I don't know how I, God's calling me to do this, and I have no money, and it just doesn't add up, and I don't know when it is. But Steve, what I want you to do is I want you to just buy that. I, w- I want you to carry that over there. No, no, just buy that end. I don't want. Nope, that's it. Just that's it. Come on, man. Do, do you think you can stop? Do you think that will wear him out? See, when when burdens come into our lives, the natural thing that a burden or a weight will do in your life is wear you out. I preached on this last Sunday night about Christians that are weary and well-doing. I know this is it. I've got to do this. It is my calling. It is my job. It is that. But here's the thing. The Bible says when there is a weight in my brother's life for me to build him up, strengthen him when he's being wore out, my job is to strengthen him, to help him, to not make it where he wants to give up. Christians should not be where they're constantly wanting to give up. Say, well, that's me all the time. That's why I dropped out of church. That's why I don't want to do this or that, whatever, because there's a lot of Christians just trying to do the best they can. So, Steve, I see this burden. Let's take care of it, okay? God bless you, buddy. God bless you. I just wanted you to know I'm a biblical man. No, you're going through that. I want you to know that we love you. Got it, all right? Glad we're a church that loves one another. Where you been, dude? I, I mean, like, last Sunday you weren't even in church. You look out of breath, dude. You look a little stressed. Aren't you glad I carried this for you? Don't you love me for it? I just demonstrated the local, the average local church. Now, the Bible says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Steve, stay right there for a minute, because I'm going to show you something. The Bible says the word bear, listen to this, means to lift, literally or figuratively, to endure, to declare, sustain, to receive, to bear, to carry, to take up. You ready? Your burden is my burden. 
And in order to bear your burdens as a brother, first of all, I've got to know what the, hey, Steve, thank you for sharing with me the fact that you're going through this. I didn't realize that, but I want you to know that now that your burden is now my burden, biblically speaking, we bear up together and we carry it through there. And eventually I'm praying that that burden's gone. There's a chance, Steve, that I'm going to be going through a hard time. And I can't be alone either. Thank you, Steve. If we would get... Thanks, man. I have nothing more for you to carry. But I do love you. Maybe pull up my car. It's raining after church or something like that. No, we'll talk later. I am broken over the fact there's so much in Scripture that we just flip through. We don't build each other up. We're not there, and that's why we have Christians that walk in like this to church, and they walk out like this. They're just, got to get back out there. I came to church really fast just to wrap it up. I want to take you back to the passage that we started with when I started this four weeks ago, and I preached on forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider one another to provoke and to love and good works. You know the number one verse that everybody will tell you about church attendance? You know the number one verse Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Boom. You want, you want me to tell you why you should come to church? That will be my go-to verse every single time. I don't think I have to go to church. I've got it right here, Hebrews 10.25. Every single time. And Christians throw their own. Do you, do you know what the colon is? The colon is telling you, do this to fulfill this. I'm going to tell you something, and here's how to complete it. The Bible says here, let us. Here's the thing. You are the us. Let us do what? Consider one another. The word means to observe fully, to behold, to discover, to perceive. My job as a congregation is to perceive one another that is here. To do what? To provoke one another. Here's what I do as a pastor. And this is biblical. I say that you should read your Bible. Joe, you should be faithful to the Lord. Lloyd, you should be faithful to your family. You know what I'm doing? I'm provoking, poking, stirring up. I am stirring up something from the pulpit. I hope you guys weren't planning on going to lunch. Because I'm going to provoke every one of you today. Because I love you. Some of you, I'm going to provoke a little. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you say, whew, you're a busy man. People say that all the time. You're a busy man. Because you know what I thought my job was as a Christian? Was to provoke the body of Christ. And I realized through studying the Bible that I do have my platform for doing that as a pastor when I fulfill the biblical role as a pastor. But it goes deeper than that because the word says, let us. And then it says, one another. To provoke unto love and good works. So you know what that thing is? Not that I want you to physically do that. Every one of you have a job 
to provoke the person next to you, to provoke the person next to you. Let, I was almost, in my mind, I said, that would be really funny if we did that as a church, but then we'd have all these lawsuits and broken whatever fingers, and yeah, we're not going there. To do what? Provoke one another, stir up, point out, to love and to do good works. You realize what would be coming out of this church if we were all at one another? And let me show once again, this is interacting God's people, not sitting there going, amen, amen, amen. It's like, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, all these things point to where there is more than coming and sitting from 10 a.m. to 11 and from 11 to 12.15 or 12.20 or 12.18, wherever it lands. This is how iron sharpens iron. This is how we get people to overcome problems in their life. This, when I'm provoking you to love your wife or love your husband or love whoever, and we're sitting there, let us provoke. Then it gets to the end of the verse. And it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. It's the manner of some is. But exhorting one another, the word exhort means to call near. It, it, it literally is talking about to, to point up, to build up. There's a lot of different explanations of that. But it says, hey, there is a purpose before and after. We have the idea, well, I assembled myself together. I attended church. I showed up. And the Bible says, did you provoke one another to love and good works? Did you consider to take notice of those that are here or not here or struggling? Have you so fulfilled the law of Christ by bearing each other's burdens? Have you done that? Then you did not biblically assemble yourselves together. You did as much coming here today as they did going to whatever stadium that they gathered in yesterday. They all got together. They had a unified goal to cheer on somebody they shouted and praised something. They gathered together and wore the same shirts. They walked in, they walked out. But I promise you, there was no personal provoking or edifying one another. We are no different than them unless we learn to do this. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Do you know why the disciples were so effective going from this out into the world? Because they learn that in here, they learn to come together to provoke, to love, and to stir up in each other. Too many Christians are worn out. Too many Christians are bearing burdens by themselves. Too many, too many, too many. And I'm sorry to say that for the longest time we're like, yep, that's a problem. Call the church. Call the church. What is the church? We are the church. Call your brother. Call your brother. Call your brother. I can only provoke so many people at a time. But if all of us were to do this, if all of us were to consider, if all of us were to so fulfill, so fulfill the law of Christ, there'd be a whole lot of action going on in the church.